So uh, let me pray, and then we'll get started. God, thank you that you have revealed your name to us. Your name is Yahweh. Thank you that you were a friend to us. Thank you that you have um, promised to be in this binding covenant relationship with us, which is actually a good thing. We think about commitment in our day and age as a bad thing, but yet you see it as a very good thing, and that you're committed to us more than we're committed to you. And so, Spirit of God, we're asking, would you please speak to our hearts this morning? Would you uh, teach us new things, not just theoretical things that would exist in our minds, but things of affection that would rest in our hearts and that would cause new joys uh, to transpire and take place within us. So we love you, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, and uh, we're eager for what you have to say. Amen. There's one announcement that I missed. Uh, On Wednesday mornings, we're doing a prayer meeting on Zoom at 7 o'clock, and um, if you're able to join with us, it would be significant, and it would be significant because we want as many of the people of God as possible praying together for revival, for hearts to be opened in our city. We'd love to have you join us. So uh, if you're joining us from at home, uh, so glad that you're with us. I explained that um, we're having technological issues, but I would just say that we just don't understand what we're dealing with. We think we do, and then we don't, and it works throughout the week, and then it doesn't on Sunday. So I don't get it, but I'm so glad that you are, you're with us, and I think Facebook is the only place that you can be uh, watching at this point, or you're at one of our sites that's doing a video today, so I'm so glad that you're with us. So Exodus 34, let me read that for us. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. Here it is. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren of the third and fourth generation. So we're going to look at verse 7 today, and that will close out our, our time. We've been slowly going through these two verses, and I hope that they've been impactful an impactive, whatever impact word I'm supposed to use to your, to your heart. So start out by saying and making this observation that as we mature, we change. As we mature, we change. We had little kids in our last service. I don't see any little kids here, but there might be some at home. And we see that we mature uh, or that we're changing as we're maturing through what we view. Our viewing habits change because you start as a little kid now watching Peppa Pig. At least that's what most kids do. And if you're an adult watching Peppa Pig by yourself, there's probably a support group for you somewhere. But you graduate from Peppa Pig to something like Paw Patrol. And Paw Patrol is acceptable if you're an older kid as well, but still, it's a little bit too young, but it's Peppa, then Paw Patrol. Then you graduate to Teen Titans, which is very entertaining uh, for an adult as well, but you probably still shouldn't be watching that by yourself. But then you move to like Marvel movies or something to do with Marvel. Maybe DC's your thing, and I'm sorry for you, but you're watching Marvel, and that's really great, and our kids and and Jess and I started watching all the Marvel movies in in order, and that's been really great. But you see a maturity, and then you reach the climax, the, the pinnacle of entertainment, the office, and it doesn't get any better than that. So once you reach that, you just, you you nailed it. But you see that the reason why you keep going up is because you're maturing, your appetites, your convictions, your entertainment options are, are changing. 
And it's not just with entertainment, but we do this with food. Some of us get new convictions around what we're supposed to eat. Or maybe you find out you have celiac disease like my wife and you can't eat certain things. Some of us have our appetites and convictions change around career. We don't want to do what we've been doing anymore. Some of us change sexuality. Some of us change relationships. One of the saddest things that I experience on a regular, not a regular basis, but I have experienced is sitting with couples that look at each other and they say, I just don't love them anymore. I just don't feel the feelings for them anymore. Because an appetite changed for something else. You see, as we're growing, we're, we're changing. And there's very few changes that are neutral. Changes are usually either really good or really bad, positive or negative. And every change that we make, we have to ask ourselves, is this the best change for me? And is this the best change for others around us? But yet often we don't even ask that. We just want to know if this is best for me. Well, here's the good news this morning is that God, this God of Exodus 34, who reveals his name to be Yahweh, right? This God doesn't change. This God does not change ever. The way that he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34 is who he is today. He hasn't changed. Growing up uh, one year in secondary school, uh, finished the year and had summer break, well, before the year was done, I had a friend. He and I played on the same baseball team, played ping pong together all the time, uh, hung out all the time. Couldn't hang out all that much that summer, came back to school, went, said, hey, man. And he looked at me like I was a stranger, like he wanted nothing to do with me. It's like something significant happened in him that summer, that he was a whole different person. And that was very like troublesome to me at the time. I don't need counseling now. Jordan was offering it to me in the first service, but I said, I'm okay. I got over it. <laughs> That's good. But the good thing about God is that God doesn't have one of those moments. He doesn't view you in the spring a certain way, take a summer break from you, and then view you differently in the fall. He is consistently and constantly the same. And this is good news as we read what we're reading this morning. So here's what we find out. In Exodus 34, verse 7, it says that he maintains faithful love to a thousand generations. Now, that word generation isn't actually there in the Hebrew. So it's that he maintains for the thousands. Yahweh is maintaining love for the thousands. And thousand is a symbolic word. It means it's limitless. When you think about thousands, you don't need to figure out okay, exactly what number is that. It means that he is limitless in his love. And so this morning, right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is maintaining his love for you. It doesn't matter what you did this morning. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about doing later. It doesn't matter that you're having a hard time connecting to something or thinking about him as much as you want. He is maintaining his love with you. Now, do you understand what this means? Do you really understand what this means? This means that he keeps things going, even when you don't. Yahweh keeps this covenant love with you going, even when you don't. We do a lot of pre-marriage counseling within our church. We've had lots and lots of people get married. And um, one of the things that we say to them in pre-marriage counseling is that God is way more committed to your marriage than you are. You think you're really committed to this thing, but God is more committed to this marriage than you are. And in the similar way, 
What God is saying in this text is that he is way more committed to your best than you are. Now hear that. He's way more committed to your best, what's best for you, than what you are. You and I make decisions that are good for us or maybe a little bit better for us. And sometimes we make negative decisions for us. But we rarely have what's best in in mind. We think it might be best in that moment, but if we could step back and see the grand like, piece of our entire life, we would see, ah, that decision wouldn't be best. But God always has what is best in mind for you, and he's committed to that. And his love, the love that he loves us with, is a, is a hesed. That's what the word is, and Jordan talked about that last week. It's this covenantal, never stopping, never giving up, running at you, kind of love. It's not one that you have to move toward. It's one that's moving toward you. That God is moving toward you in his love. And it's a binding promise. The binding promise on you that that he is committed to you. Now, marriage used to be a really good picture of of this hesed. And the way that God defines marriage in scripture, it, it still is. But we in our culture, we've cheapened marriage. We've given marriage up to the government. We let the government define what marriage really is. But when we look at Scripture and what marriage is, it's two people coming together and promising that unless death comes, we're not parting. Sickness and in health, we're going to get through everything together. It's this covenantal binding promise on these two people. Jess um, had me listen to a podcast when we were on vacation last week. And the podcast was around this analogy that when, um, when couples get married, they, they have two boats. And what they do in the marriage typically is they just tie the ropes to one another. And so it's like we, we each have our little boat and we're, we're together and we're doing things kind of in parallel. But then when things get really rough, the, the, the rope kind of gets a little bit longer and the boats drift apart. And we wonder, like, whatever happened in our marriage? And they said in the podcast that marriage was never designed to be two boats. The two boats were supposed to be burned and have one new boat made. And that both get into that new boat and they figure out how this new boat works together. And you bring your good things and your bad things into this new boat and you work out this new covenantal thing. Well, this is what God does with us. When we come to God, we don't get to keep our little dinghy and tie it onto his big boat. God brings us out of our boat and puts us into his boat. It says, you're part of my family. You're part of my kingdom. You're with me. You have a whole new way now. And what he does is he's so kind and he takes our old boat and he just burns it. And he says, you can't go back to that other boat. This is a whole new way now. Everything's going to be different. You'll like some of it. You won't like some of it, but it's always going to be what's best for you. And even as we're sitting on this boat with God, we so often try and like manufacture and create our own little boats that we can throw overboard. And just as we're throwing it over and trying to jump in, God grabs us again, hugs us, and burns the boat again. Because God is saying, I've made a commitment to you that I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to let you go. So is there something this morning that stops you from believing that God loves you like this? This is meant to be one of those reflective things that we'll talk about later. But is there something that stops you from believing that God wants you at that level. That God cares for you so much that he would bring you into his house, into his boat, that he would love you so much that he would burn your ship. 
You would say, that ship's not going in the best direction, but mine is. Look, everything, is. everything is mine is yours. You're now part of my family. You belong, and no one is going to take you from my boat. Maybe it's your inconsistency in your relationship with him, if you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you think, ah, God couldn't love me in that way because I don't read my Bible enough, or I don't pray enough, or I don't go to enough gatherings, or I don't give enough, or I don't whatever. And we think that if we can just attain a certain level of performance, then God will really commit to us because we're really committed to him. But that's not the way the covenants work. Covenants work with unconditional covenants work that even if you mess up your end of the bargain, I'm keeping mine. So my covenant says, even if you run away, I chase you because I care for you that much that I'm not going to let you run off into destruction. Maybe it's your lack of passion. Maybe your relationship with God or your thoughts of God are just theoretical and cerebral, and they don't make it down into your heart. They don't change your affections. Maybe it's your continual struggles. You find yourself doing the same things that you've said over and over and over, night after night after night. I'm never going to do these things again, and yet you do them again. And so you feel there's no way that the Lord could love me with that said, running at me kind of love. Or I'm just too bad. I'm just too bad. The Lord could never bring me into his boat. He could never love me like that. What is it? What is it? And if the Spirit of God is saying something to you about that, keep that. That's really important. Because the Spirit of God wants to help put that thing to death because that's not what's most true. This is what's most true. Is that his his said type of love is running at you. So let's keep going. Not only does he maintain this type of love with you, but he's eager to keep forgiving you. He is eager to keep forgiving you. In, in Exodus 34, 7, it says, maintaining faithful love to thousands, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Now, if you're an employer, how many times can an employee steal from you before you fire them? If you're a spouse, how many times can your spouse cheat on you before you just end it? If you're a sibling, how many times can your sibling hit you before you end them? There is a story in the Bible about that, just not hitting. But how many times can Yahweh keep forgiving? I mean, there's got to be an end to this number. There's got to be an amount where he finally says, no, I'm done. I've just had enough. Have you ever been there before? Like someone keeps doing something against you and you're like, that's it. No more am I going to be in relationship with them. No more am I going to forgive. Like this is one too many times. This was the last straw. How many times can Yahweh keep forgiving? And here's what forgiving means. It means to lift up, to carry, to take away. Forgiving means that I take something and I put it over here, I hide it, and I never pull it back out again. It's gone. God actually says in, in Scripture that I, I take your sin and I, and I put it as far as the east is from the west. Well, when do east and west meet? They never do. That's what God is saying about, about your, the stuff that you're bringing into relationship with him. So what is it that needs to be forgiven? Well, they identify three things in this, in this text. One is iniquity. And I call them the IRS. Now, IRS is um, a tax collection agency in 
uh, the U.S. Um, sometimes it can feel very oppressive, but you know, I'm sure they're doing a good job. But IRS is just iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And so these are the things that need to be forgiven. The I is for iniquity. And this is like an all-encompassing term for wickedness. So if you have like that drawer in your house where you just kind of like throw everything into, maybe that's every drawer in your house, I don't know. But we have that, if it was my way, it would be every drawer. But Jess is very neat and all that. But it's that junk drawer where everything goes into. So this is like cheating and lying and stealing and genocide. Like everything goes into that drawer of, of wickedness. That needs to be forgiven. Then we move into the R, rebellion. That God has made a law. This is how you should live as my people, as my creation. This is how I've created you to live. And when we don't live that way, we break his law. If this is his earth, this is his creation. If you believe that, you might not believe that, but I'm so glad you're with us today. But if you believe that and, and you don't do things the way that God has designed them to be done, then you're breaking his law. And that's called rebellion. So we have iniquity, which is wickedness, rebellion, breaking the law, or then sin. And sin is an archer's term. It means missing the mark. It could mean mess up. Like you unintentionally sin. I didn't even mean to do this thing. It's a, but that, that doesn't mean it's less of a sin. You missed. You messed up. These things need to be forgiven in, in all of us. This is, this is the not so great news. But all of us are guilty of these things. If we're really, really honest. All of us are guilty of these things. We have iniquity, we have rebellion, we have sin. But you weren't made to live that way. You weren't made to live that way. You were made and we were made to be in harmonious relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, and with creation. That's what shalom really is. That's what real peace is, to be in harmony with God, others, ourselves, and creation. And I guarantee all of us that could, could identify one of those that we're not in harmony with. What we're seeing during these periods of isolation is that people who thought that they were really fine and in harmony with themselves and, oh, I'm going to get some time alone. It's going to be amazing. And yet it's actually becoming destructive for so many that they're finding that they're not in harmony with themselves. It's not happening. We're not living the way that we were made to live. And it's because of what I just mentioned, this iniquity, rebellion, and our sin. But let me bring in good news again. Before we were ever made, before we were created, God maintained his love with us. His love maintenance didn't start when Joel was born. Oh, okay, I got to put my, my love maintenance on now with him. It was that God saw us before we ever existed and said, I I will choose you. You will be my person. You will be my son. You will be my daughter. And you will be brought into my family. And I am making a covenant with you before you even have diapers on. Because this covenant is going to be fulfilled by me. What I'm going to do for you in your place. And he is so serious about this covenant. Right? When couples get married, it's like we do silly things like... You have a unity candle. You have these two little candles and then a third candle that's bigger to show the importance. And like you light the one candle and you blow the things out. Or maybe you're clever and you bring two color sands and you put them together and you shake them up. And it's like, that's, that's wonderful. But God's like, no, no, no. I'm bringing blood. Like blood is what's going to show 
that my covenant's for real. Like I've never, I hope to never do a wedding where blood is the way that spouses come together to show their unity. But this is what God does. He makes his covenant with us in blood to show that I'm serious. I'm, I'm deathly serious about this. When he makes a covenant with the people here in Exodus and he brings them up out of slavery and he's teaching them a new way to live, look at what he does. Moses took the blood of the sacrifice that was made and he splattered it. That's a fun word, right? He splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all of these words. People came in wearing like their nice, their nice white shirt, like, oh, I'm going to go meet with the Lord today. It's going to be great. And they left there like splattered in blood. And they couldn't scrub those things out. It's like, Daddy, why is that big blotch there? It's like, well, that's to show that the covenant that God has made with us. But the thing that we find out as we move through Scripture is that that sacrifice, the sacrifices that were being made in the temple of bulls and goats and turtle doves and all these things, it wasn't enough to take away the problem of iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And so look at what God does in the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament, showing how really the Old Testament was really all about what God was doing through Jesus. Listen to these three verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. The author of Hebrews writes, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That blood that was splattered all over the people, that couldn't forever take away their sin. It was a temporary solution to a permanent problem. But the good news is that, is that God was going to keep going. And in verse 10 of chapter 10, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. It was blood of bulls and goats until Jesus came and Jesus was the final sacrifice to be made. And he wasn't a victim. He was a volunteer. He was the only one that could come and be sacrificed in our place so that we could receive what we needed. Forgiveness. To be brought back into a harmonious relationship with God, others, self, and creation. And then we find out in Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Jesus has done it. Jesus came as a sacrifice. Jesus lived a perfect life. You know, they had to find animals that were without blemish to be sacrificed. Why? Because they were pointing to a, a savior who was coming who would be without blemish. There was no iniquity, rebellion, or sin in Jesus at all. When he went to the cross, he went as a perfect sacrifice. And he died in our place, satisfying the payment that, that we should have to pay. And yet Jesus, as he was put inside of the tomb three days later, he rises from the dead, demonstrating that perfect atonement had been made. That our sin had been paid for. That there was now a, a promise that had, had, had been fulfilled. That Jesus was the better bull. He was the better lamb. He was the better sacrifice that finally could give us what we needed. And we were brought back into relationship with God. In Jesus, we can be forgiven completely. And forgive, forgiveness for so many is such a foreign thing because we, we walk around not thinking we need forgiveness. We feel like we're the standard. 
Like we're the thing that everything else should measure up against. But when we stand next to Jesus, we understand that we don't measure up. I've met some very good, upstanding, religious, non-religious, whatever people that were doing great things for society, but when you put them next to Jesus, there's no comparison. And yet what Jesus does, he lays down his perfect life for all of the imperfect people. And he takes it back up, showing that perfect atonement has been made and you can be brought into the boat. You can be brought into the covenant relationship with God. And here's the thing about about God. In this text, we find out that he doesn't just forgive. He doesn't just forgive. It's who he actually is. He's forgiving. There's a big difference. I can forgive you, but not be forgiving. If you say I'm a forgiving person, that means that that's how I roll most of the time, at least. God is saying, I am, I am a forgiving God. Micah, in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 7, Micah actually tells us that God delights in forgiving. How many of you delight in forgiving people? I wish every hand would go up. But forgiveness is so hard, isn't it? really hard to forgive people because you've been wronged. Listen to what Douglas K. Stewart says. I wish we had a screen to be able to show this quote. It says, God does not reluctantly forgive sins against himself and others. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. I read it again. God does not reluctantly forgive sins against himself and others. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. God delights. He's eager. We went on vacation last week, and uh, we told the kids two weeks ahead of time, big mistake, because one of our kids really struggles with excitement and anticipation. And that's all we heard about. And it came down, like, I was not serious, but we were at the dinner table and eating, and he's like, you know what I'm excited about, Dad? I'm like, I do know, but go ahead and tell me. He's like, I'm excited about the Airbnb and to go on vacation. I'm like, I'm so happy. And he told me like a minute later, and I said, you said another thing about this Airbnb. I'm going to burn it down. We're not going there. You know, like his anticipation and eagerness was just overwhelming me. And yet that's the way that God is about his forgiveness. He's obsessed with it. He wants to forgive us. We think of God as being this stodgy old man in the corner of the universe somewhere that's just angry. And he's like, oh, I got to forgive Jordan again. Ah, oh, that's right. I made a covenant. I'll do it. Yeah, fine. Oh. But instead he's like, oh, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to come. I can't wait to give you that. Can't wait for you to take you to the Airbnb of forgiveness. Do you believe that God is eager to forgive you? It's one thing to know it. Okay, yes, I affirm that fact. Probably that's theologically accurate. But do you believe it? Does that move in you? And if it doesn't, I, I struggle with this a lot. If it doesn't, why, why not? Why do we have a hard time believing that? And I would say it's because we're not like that. We don't believe that God can be like that because we're not like that. I don't know anyone that's eager to forgive people. I really don't. It's hard work. You know the way that the Greeks made their gods? They looked at their attributes and who they were and their feelings and their thoughts, and they said, oh, let's create a God like us. 
And we'll make a God like that. And so the Greek gods make sense to us. But this doesn't make sense to us. Yahweh doesn't make sense to us because we're not like this. And why not? Why aren't we like this? If we're followers of Jesus who have experienced the forgiveness that he has given to us, why aren't we eager and delighted to forgive in that same way? And we'll talk about this at the end. But let me ask this question. What would the world think of Yahweh if his people moved in a posture of forgiveness all the time? Delighted, excited, eager to forgive. What would our city think about Yahweh? It's a good question. Well, there's a final aspect to who Yahweh is. And that's that he is just. We like justice. We want the wrong things to be made right. And God wants that more than, than we do. That God doesn't just have this divine carpet somewhere in the sky that he just sweeps iniquity, rebellion, and sin under. And he says, ah, they're just, they're just human. It's just Ben. I know Ben. Like, I'll just sweep it under. He doesn't do that. What he does is he offers like a coin. A coin has two sides, right? He offers this coin. And on one side is forgiveness and restoration in Jesus. That Jesus has taken the punishment for you and you can have what he has done for you. But the other side of that coin is that if you won't take that, then there's a very real punishment to all who reject it. And, th and that's heavy because we don't like talking about these things. I don't know very many people that are like, man, I can't wait to preach on punishment of God this week. It's going to be awesome. And yet this is what we see. He offers forgiveness and restoration. And he says, if you won't take that, I've provided it all for you. But if you won't take it, then there's a very real punishment that's coming. And it's strange. Like, listen to this. He will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I can't address this in all of its depth this morning. I would love to. Uh, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, God Has a Name, uh, by John Mark Comer. He has a great chapter uh, in the book just on this subject itself. But let, let me say a few things about it. Uh, this word generation isn't in the Hebrew. So when it says that he'll bring the father's iniquity on the children, grandchildren, the third and fourth generation, it really just stops after fourth generation is to help us understand it, but it might actually take us further away from understanding so here's, here's what God is saying. That he is going to maintain love to the thousands, the, the, the limitless, the, the many. And he punishes the children to the third and the fourth. So his mercy is massive and the judgment is small. He wants to offer mercy to the many and judgment to the few who will reject it. And so if this were a seesaw, right? You know seesaw? Okay, we're going, no kids here, really. But anyway, seesaw in the park. Mercy sits down. Mercy's a really big kid, right? Mercy takes a seesaw and puts it up like this. And judgment is up here. And it's like judgment tries to get heavier, but it doesn't stand in comparison to the mercy of God. 
And this is what God is saying. I want to be merciful to the many. And as we track through scripture, we see that he offers that out to anyone in Jesus. God is saying, my mercy triumphs over judgment. Even though mom and dad's sin impacts you, because your mom and dad's choices have impacted you in some way, shape, or form. The bad decisions that they have made, the sin that they have done, somehow has impacted you. I remember growing up thinking, oh, I won't be this way. I won't be like my dad, or I won't be like my mom, or I won't be like my parents in this way. And I am. Right? It's like there's certain patterns that you just can't scrub, it seems. But God is saying, even though mom and dad's sin impacts you, I am making a covenant with you for the many. I'm making a covenant with you. See, his heart is not to rub judgment in our face. He offers to take it for us. And here's the really good news. We're wrapping up. What's coming is that God is going to remake the world. God is going to remake the world. And he tells us of this throughout scripture. Heaven and earth are going to meet together. And they're going to form a new creation. That your future is not some disembodied soul floating around in a celestial place, playing a harp, sitting in a diaper, talking about toilet paper, as toilet paper commercials portray. That's not your future. Your future is a very real, embodied, physical place where God is going to be, and you're going to be, and you're going to get to enjoy him. And wickedness and iniquity and rebellion and sin will not be there. And the new creation is... The first fruits, Paul talks about in Colossians, the first fruit is Jesus. When Jesus rises from the dead, he's the first fruit. It's a harvesting term, the first apple, the first wheat, the first corn that comes up. First fruit, showing what's going to come later on. And what Paul tells us in Corinthians is that anyone who's in Christ, new creation. You're already part of this. You're demonstrating your signposts to the world that the new creation has already begun and it's begun in the people of God. What's God doing now? Why doesn't he just bring us with him now? Why doesn't he just wrap everything up now? Why doesn't he start this new creation now in all of its fullness? Well, he's giving time for people to turn to him. He's a patient God. He is slow to anger. Do I want him to come back today? In one sense, yes. In another sense, no. Like, yes, I want you to come because I want to be with you, but no, there's so many in our city that don't yet know him. There's so many of my relatives that don't yet know him that I want to know him, right? So it's like, be patient, Lord, or save them all today. Like, let them be watching on Facebook right now and let them meet Jesus today. Would today be the day where they would turn to you? He is a very patient God. But at one time, he's going to return. And he's going to put a stop to all evil. And we all want this, don't we? I mean, how many of us want a stop to COVID, right? No hand. Okay, one hand is going up. Everyone loves it. Please put your hand up at home. Please. Anyone. Uh, But we all want it to end. Because we know that's not how we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to live in isolation. We weren't made to be fearful of other people. We weren't made to be fearful of of something that could get inside of our body and cause it great harm. We weren't made for that. We want something different deep down. And it's coming. Let me just read 
a few paragraphs from this, this book by John Mark Comer. Evil is the, by, is the byproduct of sin, and Yahweh is after a world with no evil. And here's what this looks like. No garment workers in Bangladesh slaving 12 hours a day, seven days a week in dangerous conditions for barely enough money to survive, all so we can buy a t-shirt for five bucks. No cruel dictators driving an economy into the ground with war, ethnic cleansing, and rampant corruption. No abuse, no shootings in elementary schools, no violence at all, no racism, no misogyny, no exploitation of women and children, no anxiety, no depression, no mental illness, no divorce, no betrayal, no breakdown of the family, no fatherless children, no evil at all. How many of you want to live in that kind of world? You can. And if you're a follower of Jesus, one day you will, because Yahweh is just. Amos, an author of, of one of the Old Testament books, writes that Yahweh is going to cause justice to roll like a river. That when his justice comes, it's going to be like a river that breaks into the land and is going to overwhelm the land. It's going to flood the land with the goodness of God. You see, God, as we see him here, he doesn't want you in the scope of his judgment. He doesn't want to be looking at you on the barrel of a gun in judgment. He wants his scope of mercy to be on you and to capture your heart in such a way that you would turn to him and say, I want you, I, I, want, I want you to burn my boat and I want in on yours. Let me end the series with these three verses. Matthew 11, Matthew 11, verses 28 to, to 30. Jesus says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So are you weary today? Well, come to him. Are you full of iniquity, rebellion, and sin? Well, come to him. He'll, he'll forgive you for that and he'll bring you into his family. Do you have doubts? Well, come to him. Don't doubt on the side by yourself. Are you self-righteous? Well, come to him. There's good news for self-righteous people. Are you self-centered? Well, come to him. Are you under the illusion that you're in control? Well, come to him. Are you ready to participate in a mission that remakes the world by replacing evil with eternal goodness of God? Well, come to him. Are you thirsty for peace? Well, come to him. Are you longing for the spirit of God to fill your soul and all the crevices of your heart? Well, come to him because he's the only one who can do that. And are you wanting to see the city change? Well, come to him because you can't change it on your own. You don't have a good enough agenda to bring the change that's gonna last all throughout eternity. But in him, there's limitless joy and love and he's eager and delighted to forgive you and to send you out as ambassadors of reconciliation with a message of my dad is a dad that's eager to forgive you. You gotta hear about him. This is the God that we serve. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna respond. Spirit, would you please speak to our heart would you help us to respond in faith and belief? Would you help us to respond 
um, with expectation and anticipation? Would you help us to respond maybe this morning with repentance where we turn our hearts away from the things that we've been pursuing and we turn to you and we say, would you please burn my little boat? I need to be in yours. I need to take what you did for me, Jesus. And would you speak to their hearts? Lord, we long for the city to be changed and we can't change it. We pray for revival in our hearts, that you would raise affection for you. We pray that you would would rescue many people, that you would help them to see how beautiful you really are and that you are a good God. Thank you that you are delighted and eager to forgive. Help my unbelief with that. And would you cause us to be a people that, that would be eager to forgive because we've been forgiven so much. We love you and we need you for everything. Amen.